Hi, welcome back. Today is our last episode, although I doubt anybody is actually listening to this besides Mr. Tharp. Um, <laughs> um, today we will be doing, as usual, just short scary stories that are creepy, and yeah, here we go. Our first story today is called The Escape Man. The rain was falling heavily. It was like driving through a thick curtain of water. He eased off the accelerator a little. Had to be careful driving on wild nights like these. The last thing you want is to have an accident or breakdown. You just want to be at home on these stormy nights. The thwack thwack, the windshield wipers are hypnotic. He stared out into the glow of the headlights. The rain sounded like white noise interference as it battered the car. He was reminded of the opening scenes of a Hitchcock film. Though the wash of the rain, he spotted a figure at the side of the road. The person wore a green parka and had their thumb jerked out. Why on earth would anyone be hitchhiking tonight? Surely you would just stay put until the morning. They must have been in a rush to get where they were going. He signaled down and pulled over. The hitchhiker climbed in. He shut the door quickly, glad to be out of the rain. He pulled his hood back inside. He was somewhere in his mid-twenties and had wild red hair and a thick beard. Awful night, eh, said the driver. The hitchhiker held his gaze for a long moment. Drops of rain water trickled down his face. Yes, yes it is. The driver pulled out and continued through the storm. The hitcher glanced over his shoulder into the blackness behind him. You okay? The hitcher simply nodded. They drove on in silence for a short while. The BBC radio phone and blaring out from the car speakers filled in for conversation. They listened to the radio and their own thoughts as they moved on. Where are you headed? asked the driver. North, the hitcher pointed. Are you traveling to visit friends? Hmm. The driver couldn't tell if that was a yes or a no. He adjusted his tie nervously. The hitcher stared at him in his suit and tie. The hitcher seemed scruffy in comparison in his parka and pink Floyd t-shirt. Do you work around here? asked the hitcher. Yes, said the driver. I was stuck late at the office. You know how it is. No, not really. Again, they drifted into silence. The talk radio show carried on as they drove through the wind and rain. The hitcher shifted in his seat and stared out this windscreen no music hitcher said what is there no music we could listen to i like the talk radio shows i'm not really a music fan the hitcher's eyes glazed over for a moment then he spoke i like listening to music it calms me down the driver said nothing several miles later there was a new bulletin on the radio The reporter tried to remain professional as she read the announcement. We are getting reports that a patient has escaped from Manchester Psychiatric Institution. The man is said to be psychopathic and is said to have a history of murder. The hitcher jabbed a finger on the button on the radio panel. Tiny pop music blurted out from the speakers. The driver stared at his passenger, his question unasked. I hate the news, asked the hitcher. It's so depressing. It brings me down. There is never any good news, is there? The driver did not reply. 
Don't worry, I'm not a kill. I'm not the killer," said the hitcher, fiddling with his coat. "No," said the driver. "I mean, no. Of course you weren't." The next one is called "The Dark Walk Home." Let me tell you the story of Lucy Spring. She used to love it here. It was so vibrant, so colorful. Things have changed. She left Mayview City two years ago with no plans of ever returning. Death has a way of bringing people home. She hoped the familiar sidewalks would comfort her in a way the funeral visitors couldn't. Instead, they made her uneasy. She has a long walk to her car with a phone as dead as her little brother. Why hadn't she called Becky? She would have liked to hear her voice. What Lucy is hearing now isn't a voice. Lucy stops. The footsteps don't. The next one is called Psychosis. I'm not sure why I'm writing this down on paper and not on my computer. I guess I j- haven't just noticed some odd things lately. It's not that I don't trust the computer. I just need to organize my thoughts. I need to get down all the details somewhere objective, somewhere I know that what I write can't be deleted or changed. Not that it's happened. It just, everything blurs together here and the fog of memory leads a strange leads to a strange cast of things. I'm starting to feel cramped in the small apartment. Maybe that's the problem. I just had to go and choose the cheapest apartment, the only one in the basement. The lack of windows down here makes day and night seem to slip by seamlessly. I haven't been out in a few days because I've been working on this programming project so intensively. I suppose I just wanted to get it done. Hours of sitting and staring at a monitor can make anyone feel strange. I know, but I don't think that's it. I'm not sure when I first started feeling something was odd. I can't even define what it is. Maybe I just haven't talked to anyone in a while. That's the first thing that crept up on me. Everyone I normally talk to online while I was... It, while I program has been idle or they've simply not logged on at all my instant messages go unanswered the last email i got from anybody was a friend saying he'd talk to me when he got back from the store and that was yesterday i call with my cell phone but reception's terrible down here yeah that's it i just need to call someone i'm going to go outside well that didn't work so well as the tingle of fear fades, I'm feeling a little ridiculous for being scared at all. I looked in the mirror before I went out, but I didn't shave the two-day stubble I've grown. I figured I was just going out for a quick cell phone call. I did change my shirt, though, because it was lunchtime, and I guessed that I'd run into at least one person I knew. That didn't end up happening. I wish it did. When I went out, I opened the door to my small apartment slowly. A small feeling of apprehension had somehow already logged in self in me for some in, indefinable reason. I chalked it up to having not spoken to anyone but myself for a day or two. I peered down the dingy gray hallway, made dingier by the fact that it was a basement hallway. On one end, a large metal door led to the building's furnace room. It was locked, of course. Two dreary soda machines stood by it. I bought a soda from one of the first day I moved in, but it had two-year-old expiration date. 
I'm fairly sure nobody knows these machines are even down here. Or my cheap landlady just doesn't care to get them restocked. I closed my door softly and walked the other direction, taking care to not make a sound. I have no idea why I chose to do that, but it was fun giving in to the strange impulse not to break the droning hum of the soda machines, at least for a moment. I got to the stairwell and took the stairs up to the building's front door. I looked through the heavy door, small square window, and received quite the shock. It was definitely not lunchtime. City gloom hung over the dark street outside, and the traffic lights at the intersection of distance blinked yellow. Dim clouds, purple and black, from the glow of the city hung overhead. Nothing moved. Saw the few sidewalk trees that shifted in the wind. I remember shivering, though I wasn't cold. Maybe it was the wind outside. I could vaguely hear it through the heavy metal door, and I knew it was that unique kind of late-night wind. The kind that was constant, cold, and quiet, save for the rhythmic music it made as it passed through countless unseen tree leaves. I decided not to go outside. The next one is called Uncle Tommy's Visit. Now remember, I don't want you talking to him unless I'm around you, here. Yes, Dad. I'm serious. Now tuck your shirt in. He's here. The front door swung open, and there stood Uncle Tommy, dressed in sweat from a day's work in the summer heat. It's a scorcher out there, ain't it? He said, putting his bag on the floor and untying his boots. I appreciate you letting me crash here for the night. Just so long you're gone in the morning, my dad replied coldly. Of course. Now, Uncle Tommy said, turning to me and lowering himself to a knee. Where's my hug at? Been a while since I have seen you, at least. I took a couple steps toward him and leaned in for a hug. His tight embrace made me uncomfortable, and I let out a light whimper. Don't you know it's a 100 degrees out there? He asked, tugging at my long sleeves. I haven't been outside today, I recited to him. Don't you have some chores to finish up? Dad interjected. I, th- I knew that was my cue to leave, so I shuffled off to my room. Later that night, I lay in bed, tossing and turning, unable to be comfortable, when I heard the thud of footsteps in the hallway outside my bedroom. After several long seconds of silence, the door opened quietly. The dark silhouette of a man entered the room and the door closed again. For several more seconds, there was nothing but unrelenting silence. I might have thought I dreamt it all if it weren't for the sound of a hushed breath being carefully released. I could feel him getting nearer. The warmth of another person in the room was unfamiliar at this hour. I was not prepared for this. I prayed he would go away, to even come back in the morning if he must. He reached down and touched me. He rolled me onto my stomach and lifted up my shirt. From the corner of my eye, I could see two things. The faint beam of a pocket flashlight and Uncle Tommy's eyes steadying my bare skin. His rough fingers ran up and down my back. Suddenly, he got up and walked to the bedroom door and and left. I tried again to fall asleep, eventually succeeding. He was gone by the time I I awoke. Around noon, the phone rang while my father was out. Hello, I answered. Hey, buddy. Uncle Tommy. Yeah, your dad around? No, sir. Went to the store. Good, he said, sounding a bit nervous. He paused for a moment. I'm calling about last night. I don't know if you were awake or not. I was. Next story is called The Seer of Possibilities. Sometimes otherworldly 
beings find interesting ways to try and contact you. They might use a Ouija board or maybe come to you in a dream, or sometimes they speak through another person. They each have their own style and preference that's particular to them. The one who contacted Jack spoke to him through his computer, or I guess you could say the communication was through on-screen text. The first time it happened, Jack had been sitting at the computer playing solitaire. A blinking red light from the router indicating that his internet connection was down again. This was at least a weekly occurrence, and Jack was getting used to this spotty internet service. As he moved his cards, the game faded into a solid black screen and the red text appeared. Hi Jack, I need a favor from you. You're a very special person and I know you'll help me. I can't ask this of just anyone. I really need your help. Jack paused for a second. The router light was still blinking red. Is this some sort of joke? He couldn't help but wondering. Some moments later, the message continued. Yes, Jack, I know this is weird for you, but I don't want you to worry. This is just a small, easy favor I need. I'll make sure you're rewarded. Now, nearly in a panic, Jack reached around and pulled the internet cable completely from the wall. Still here, Jack. I don't want to waste any more of your time, so I'll get right to what I need. Tomorrow when you go to work, I need you to move the large potted plant that next to the elevator on the ground floor. All you have to do is pull it out three inches from the wall. If you do it at 8.17 a.m., nobody else will be in the area. Jack sat there, refusing to respond, still trying to figure out what was happening. The writing continued. Look, Jack, I'm asking you because I know you'll do it. You won't let me down. You're special. We'll talk tomorrow. Jack pulled the power cord from the wall and the computer went blank. Did that just really happen, he thought? Still shaking from the experience, he took a warm shower and got ready for bed, convincing himself that he'd either had some crazy dream or that it was just some elaborate joke. But who would play that kind of joke on him? He didn't really have friends or enemies. He woke up the next morning feeling refreshed. Work would start at 8.30 a.m., and Jack was never late. He pulled into the parking lot at 8.10 a.m. Normally, he would just go right in, but the message told him to move the plant at 8.17 a.m. Was he really going to do it? Overnight, Jack's fear had turned into curiosity. Let's say he moved the plant. He wouldn't be doing anything wrong or illegal, right? In Jack's mind, the most reasonable course of action was to move the plant. He'd do it, nothing would happen, and he'd be able to put this whole crazy matter behind him. One minute before 8.17, Jack left his car and walked towards the building. He entered the foyer at the same exact time he was supposed to. The message was right. Nobody else was around. Odd, Jack thought. The building was normally busy this time of morning, but this temporary lull had been accurately predicted. Fine, see what happens, Jack muttered to himself. He walked up to the large potted plant placed firmly between the two elevators in the lobby of the ten-story building. The plant looked like it was fake, a decoration people passed every day without really noticing. It was heavier than Jack realized. He put some might into his effort and pulled the plant out three inches to his best estimate. He stepped back and looked at the plant, then looked around the lobby. People were coming in behind him now, and the lobby was starting to fill up again. Nobody seemed to notice the plant was in a slightly different location. Nothing seemed different at all. Jack skipped the next elevator and waited. Waited for something. But nothing happened. Finally, Jack entered the elevator and made it to his seventh floor cubicle. 
on time like always. If you ever ask Jack's co-workers to describe him, you hear the words like polite, quiet, respectful, and competent. And while those words were all accurate, they gave little indication of the truth. The truth that Jack really didn't like most people. That's not to say he disliked them, just that he had very little interest in getting to know them or being their friend. Save for one, Allie, the girl who sat two cubicles down from him, was the only person he ever wanted to know more about. With her big smile, blonde hair, and beautiful figure, Jack was very interested in learning all about her. Despite his lack of success with women in the past, he was actually doing a fair job of getting to know her. Every morning as he passed her cubicle, he stopped for a chat. The chats were one minute at first, then two minutes, then several minutes. Jack was surprised that she actually seemed to like him. On this particular morning, their daily conversation lasted only a couple of minutes. As they exchanged their morning greetings and talked about Allie's wild night out, the elevator doors opened up behind them. Out hobbled James Bentley, the boss of both Jack and Allie. James' loud complaining could be heard throughout the office. My dang foot. What happened, James? came the mumbled queries. It's that damn plant they left on the lobby. I ran right into it and twisted my ankle. James, you can barely walk. You need to go to the hospital, came Allie's concerned reply. Can't do it now. I have meetings all day. Too important to cancel. I'll just have to tough it out. Jack, feeling stunned, left Allie's cubicle mid-conversation and sunk down into his chair. It was his fault. He was sure of it. How could he have been so stupid and careless? Still, no one use in worrying about it now. A twisted ankle would heal. Everything would be all right. Upon his return home, Jack went immediately to his computer and turned it on. As soon as the computer booted up, the screen went black and a new message popped up. How was your day, Jack? He sat there staring at the screen, not knowing how to answer. The message on the screen continued. Actually, I know how your day was, but never let it be said that I'm not polite. You're wondering what's going on. You want to know why James Bentley had to twist his ankle. Well, Jack, this train of events isn't done playing out. I don't want to tell you too much too soon, but this will all make sense to you in short order. Just go to work tomorrow like you normally do. Don't worry about a thing, Jack. You'll be awarded your special. Talk to you tomorrow. Jack sat back in his chair. What was going on? Who was this sending him messages? Jack's curiosity was fully engaged, and he was almost a bit excited to see what would happen next. The next morning at work started off as any ordinary day. Jack noticed that the plant had been pushed back fully against the wall, probably by the night cleaning crew. James Bentley showed up shortly after lunch, hobbling into the office on his one good foot. Man, this foot is killing me, Jack could hear him over say, but apparently James still had a meeting he didn't want to miss. It wasn't until around 3 o'clock that Jack saw him again. James, who always seemed to prefer Allie over the others, came limping up to her cubicle. Allie, you're not doing anything right now, are you? Um, no, nothing that can wait until tomorrow, I guess. Good, could you please drive me to see my doctor? I probably should have gone yesterday, but I just couldn't get away. This pain is just killing me right now, and I don't think I can drive myself. I barely made it here this morning, and I don't think I can even push the gas pedal right now. We can take my car if you want. Yeah, that's fine, James. I don't have a problem taking you. Turning to Jack, she said her goodbye. See you tomorrow, Jackie. She put on her coat and slowly followed James as he struggled down the hall. She gave a half turn and a shrug in Jack's direction. With a little smile as she walked away, Jack felt even lonelier than normal when she was gone. 
It was 10 minutes later that they all heard the crash. It was preceded by the loud horn of an 18-wheeler and screeching brakes. The collision itself was a sickening thud of two large metal objects colliding. Even on the seventh floor, it was loud. The office workers gasped and ran to the windows. Is that James' car? One of them asked. Hard to tell from up here, someone responded. It's so banged up. The horrifying implication of what just happened came to Jack immediately. Oh no, no, he he thought. This can't be true. Shaking all the way, he ran to the elevator and went to the ground floor along with several other of others from the office. Some of them were crying. As they joined the growing crowd in the scene of the accident, Jack could hear the fan-off sound of emergency sirens. Looking past the gawkers, he could see that the 18-wheeler had hit James' car broadside. Its driver had been thrown out into the pavement where he lay motionless. James was sitting in the passenger seat of his car, motionless, but with a surprised look on his bloody face. Jack couldn't tell if he was alive or dead. The driver's side where Ellie was seated had taken the hit. The space she'd been occupying had been compacted to a third of its original size. Allie's head was smashed upon and her twisted body was broken and battered. The crowd was stunned. Tears, screams, sirens. That was all Jack could hear. Without going back inside the building, Jack ran to his car and drove home, angry and sad. He made the journey home into his computer. There the machine sat. He wanted to turn it on, but he was afraid of what he'd find out. Was he really the one responsible for Allie's death? The whole chain of events had started with him. He knew he was to blame. Jack reached for the power button and then pulled his hand back. Finally, after several minutes, he found the metal mental strength to turn it on. The screen flickered and then it went black and the familiar text popped up on the screen. No, Jack, it's not your fault. I know you're blaming yourself, but all people die eventually, some just sooner than others. Jack stared at the screen. He resisted the urge to throw the monitor to the ground. After a moment, the writing continued. Jack, I'm going to tell you something, and I really need you to seriously consider everything I'm about to say. You thought you were in love with Allie. And please excuse my language, but every once in a Great while it's best to be blunt, Jack. She wasn't the one for you. She would have made your life miserable. Yes, she would have eventually found the courage to ask her out. She was actually interested in you. She thought you'd make a good project. Sad, really, for her, not for you. I want you to think back to all the things she told you. Why did her last boyfriend break up with her? Because she cheated on him, Jack mumbled under his breath. Because she cheated on him, Jack. The same thing she would have done to you. She would have made you happy for about two months and then miserable for the next four years, sneaking around, laughing at you behind your back, spending all your money. When she finally got rid of her, you would have been so jaded that you'd never date again. This is true, Jack. I see all future possibilities, the ones that come to pass and the ones that don't. You've seen now who she really is, Jack, but you let your lust for her blind you to the truth. Together, you and I have made sure you avoided that path. One more thing, Jack. This isn't done playing out yet. There's more to come. No, you killed her, Jack screamed and threw the monitor from the desk. It landed on the floor and sparked out. Jack barely got any sleep that night, and the next day he wasn't so sure if he wanted to go to work. But the last words he'd been told that piqued his curiosity, and his anger had somewhat subsided. No work was done that day at the office. The company brought in grief counselors. People shared their thoughts. They cried. They hugged. James had actually survived the accident, but was in a coma.
The doctors thought he might recover eventually, but nobody was really there. Late in the afternoon, Jack was approached by Diego, the head of the division. Diego was blunt and upfront, and he offered James' position to Jack. Technically, it would be a temporary promotion, but James wouldn't be back anytime soon. Diego promised him that the promotion would be made permanent once enough time had passed. Let's keep this low-key for now, Diego told him. I know it might seem quick, but the Lancaster project James was working on cannot be stopped. It's too important to the company. I need someone in charge right away. This can't wait. Stunned, Jack accepted the promotion. He worked with a strange mixture of feelings, not really sure how he felt about anything. On his way home, he stopped at the electronic store and brought a new monitor. He made it home and powered up the computer. Once again, the writing came on the screen. Jack, I want to be the first one to congratulate you. I'm proud of what you've accomplished. Jack stared at the screen. Jack, I have to ask for your forgiveness because I haven't introduced myself yet. I'm called the seer. Like I told you before, I see what will be and I see what can be. It's a very powerful gift I have. But you know what, Jack? For all my power, some can't do anything corporal. I can predict, I can see, and with enough effort, I can even communicate. But I don't have a body. There's something that was that was something that was taken from me a long, long time ago. That's why I need you, Jack. I'm an artist of sorts. I'm an on- artist of human manipulation. You'll be my paintbrush and my canvas. I want you to work with me, Jack. It's very simple. Just perform simple tasks for me from time to time. Jack was becoming more and more curious. And Jack, before you give me an answer, I want you to know a couple of things. First off, I'll never lie to you. Secondly, I'll never ask you to do anything which, taken by itself, is wrong or illegal. Yes, bad things will result, and sometimes people will die. But they're going to die eventually anyways, right, Jack? And the bad will always be balanced out by something good happening to you. Jack winced at this idea, but he fought the urge to turn the computer off. The seer was right. Everyone would die eventually. Why not let something good come of it? And what about never lying to him? If he'd known at the time that Allie was going to die, he'd have never gone through with the original favor. But as he thought more about it, he realized the seer hadn't lied to him, but had only withheld information. Still, Jack wondered if he could trust the seer. Work with me, Jack. Together we'll make incredible things happen. I'm just asking you to perform little tags from time to time. Oh, but these little tags will have great consequences. They're going to be beautiful, Jack, and they'll always end with a reward for you. That's the beauty of my art. One single text produces something bad and something good. One last thing, Jack. I can see you're having trouble with this. If I stopped talking to you right now, it would take you about two weeks to decide to join to me. But you know what, Jack? You would join me. That's right, you're going to say yes. So instead of waiting, why don't you just say yes to me now? Let's get started, Jack. And when all of this is over, you're going to thank me. I promise. Jack considered what the seer had just said. His initial feeling of revolt was slowly fading. He paused and then, for the first time, he placed his fingers on the keyboard and responded directly to the seer. What do you want me to do next? As years passed, Jack did not... Jack did every favor the seer asked him, and as the seer had promised, Jack was rewarded for his actions each time. The rewards often came in unexpected and interesting ways. One of the more memorable experiences for Jack happened about two years after he first agreed to help the seer. 
Jack, I need you to go downtown tomorrow, this year requested. Enter Garmin's Liquor at exactly 12.37. A man will ask you a question. The answer you're going to give him is 27. As always, this year's instructions were simple and direct, yet mysterious. The next day, as requested, Jack entered the store. In front of him, a burly construction worker was at the counter filling out a lottery place ship. Let's see here, said the construction worker. My birthday, that's the 15th. My wife's birthday, that's the 24th. And my kids' ages, 2, 10, and 13. The man scratched his head and looked around, zeroing in on Jack. Hey, buddy, I need another number. You got one for me? Jack smiled, 27. Really? I was thinking about playing 35. But you know what? I like your face. Let's go with 27. With that, the man completed his slip and paid for his lottery ticket. See you, pal, he said happily, and he patted Jack on the shoulder on his way out the door. Jack tried not to put any more thought into what would happen to this man. Just let these things play out, Jack. You'll never guess how things will end up, so just let yourself be surprised, the seer had advised him. Still, it was impossible not to wonder about these things from time to time. He knew, considering the way the seer worked, but there was no possible that he'd actually help this man. But giving him a losing lottery number... That was too simple for this year, and he couldn't imagine he'd actually given him a winning number. So that's how Jack was surprised when two weeks later he ran into the same man again, this time at the grocery store. Hey buddy, it's you, I remember you. Check it out, I won. Indeed, the man looked like a million dollars, wearing new clothes, a new gold wash, and a big, goofy smile. The man walked right up to Jack. I, I didn't think I'd ever see you again, but I'm glad you're here. I could have never won without you. Hey, let me buy these groceries for you. No, wait, that's not good enough for you. You're my good luck charm. Always got to treat right people right. That's what my mom says. Reaching into his pocket, the man removed his checkbook and promptly wrote Jack a check for $10,000. It's the least I can do for my good luck charm. After thanking the man and feeling a bit confused by the whole thing, Jack raced home to his computer, and after turning it on, this year's writing appeared on the screen. Well, Jack, how does it feel to be $10,000 richer? It feels good, but I can't help but wonder. We've never helped anyone before. Why are we starting now? Jack asked a question with a tinge of guilt. He never liked to admit that people were being hurt by his actions, but in this case, his curiosity overwhelmed any latent feelings of guilt. Oh, Jack, we haven't helped anyone. Yeah, that man is happy now, but he'll have lost every last penny within two years. You see it for yourself. He just gives money away. Old friends, lost relatives, they're all going to ask him for money. And there will be some very bad investments as well. The stress of losing everything is going to cause his wife to leave him. She'll take the kids too. He'll be alone and broke. A real man who would have had much better off if he'd never really won. You needn't feel bad, Jack. It's the man's own stupidity and greed that will do this to him. Jack felt regret. But the seer's rationalizing and focusing on his reward always put him at peace in the end. Through the years, no two tasks were ever alike. Sometimes the effects of his actions were direct and easy to see. Other times they caused a chain reaction so complex that he simply could not follow it. Go to the county administrator's building, park in space number 43 at 4.47 p.m. Came one such request. Jack did so, and two months later he met Donna with whom he fell in love with and ended up marrying. He wouldn't have seen he wouldn't have known the two events were even related if he hadn't asked the seer about it. Jack, when you parked in that space you caused the person who would have parked there to be parked in a different spot. But she bumped the car next to her. She barely made a scratch, but she caught her insurance agent anyway, causing him to leave the office late. 
He missed his train home, and while waiting, and while waiting for the late train, he was mugged and stabbed. He'll never fully recover. The muggers t- took his credit cards and used them. And Jack, I could keep going with this, but there's another 23 people involved. Sometimes his favors are going to be very complicated, but let's just say your action ultimately caused Donna to be in the exact right place for you to meet her. To finish the story, go to Creepypasta. They have amazing, really good creepy stories. Um, And this is our last podcast. Goodbye.